Well, we're in a series on holiness, and we're thinking about the, this idea of holiness. And, and I'm going to go ahead and jump in because I want us to be able to spend enough time talking about uh, really the, the things that, that we had in God and, and the things that we lost in sin and the things that God restores to us in Christ. And it all has to do with his holiness. So would you stand with me as we read the scriptures together? This is Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves and made loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now we're going to skip down to verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for Eve... Garments of skin and clothed them. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that although sin has come into the world and it is it has done so much to break and bind and destroy, Lord, you have a plan to overcome sin. And God, I pray that as we spend time in your word, that we would appreciate what we had in your original design, that we would have a real sense of what we've lost and what you offer in your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys can be seated. What this text tells us is that through sin, we lost what could only be found in God. That through sin, because of this act of, of prideful disobedience on the part of Adam and Eve, we lost what could only ultimately be found in God. Last week I talked about how God is a holy God. And that idea of the holiness of God speaks to his infinite majesty. When we think of someone who is, is highly honored and then take that to the infinite power. We begin to kind of scratch the surface of the holiness of God, that he is completely other from everything else in creation. In other words, there's nothing that, that's in creation that's, that's quite like God. And, and his distinction, the fact that he is different, sets him apart and makes, makes us call him holy. He's greater than creation. And, and in this text, 
we'll see that, that sin has affected our ability to relate to this holy God. And that because of sin, we, like I said, lost what we could only find. So we're going to talk about what we had in the beginning what we lost through sin and what we gain in Christ. What we had in the beginning, what we lost through sin, and what we gain in, in Christ. So it, in the beginning, what did we have to lose? Uh, if you were to go and read the beginning of Genesis, it's this, this panoramic view of God's creation. And in, and in six days, he creates everything. The first three, three days, he's, he's separating things. He's He's setting up the stage. He's putting a framework in place. And the, the days four through six, he's, he's filling up the heavens and the earth and, and, and the waters and all the things he's creating. He creates the heaven and earth. And in, it says in, in, in verse 10 of chapter one, God called the dry land earth and the waters were gathered together. He called seas and what God saw that it was good. When, when God creates, it's good. When I create... It's a, it's a hack. It's, it's a jumble. It's a mess. I don't know that you could often ascribe goodness to it, but when God creates, it is good. He created the sun and the moon and the stars. And in verse 15, it says, and, and it was so. And God made the, the two greater lights, the lesser light, the, the sun and the moon. And he goes on to say that it was good. He creates the vegetation on the earth. In verse 13, and he says that it was good. And uh, the carnivores in the room, you can still, it's still good that there's vegetation because then our, our food can eat that food. Um, but it was good that God created it. He goes on and he says that he creates all the creatures of the earth, the, the animals in the, in the ocean and the birds and, and the livestock and the beasts of, of the land. And he goes on and he says that it was good. And then he created us. He created man and woman. It says in verse 26 of chapter 1, then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living creature that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath, I've given every green plant for food and it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. He made us to have dominion over the earth. That means that, that we were his vice presidents, to use American language. Theologians will say he, he gave us vice regency. God was going to rule and reign in and through us over the earth. We were given a high position of authority. He gave us his own image and likeness. We're, we're separate and different from animals. Uh, there, there's something unique about us because there's something about humanity that reflects the glory and nature and, uh, and image of God. And he gave us purpose. He goes and says to be fruitful and multiply and, and subdue the earth and have dominion. And, and that's often described as the cultural mandate because what happens is you begin to have families, those families begin to, to make, 
make uh, agricultural changes. They, they grow together and you begin to have cultural impact. You begin to create culture. So he was calling us to create, to, to have an impact on creation. And he created us and he provided us for food. And as I said, scripture tells us that at the beginning it was very good. What did we have? What did we have? We had many things, but I'll list off four. We had a perfect relationship with our holy God. God was with us. He was in relationship with us. He was connected to us. There's no indication that there was any sort of rift or or separation, but there was an intimate relationship with God and his people. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the effortlessness of, of waking up in God's creation and being in the presence of God. You know, we, we, we work so hard during worship to, to remove the barriers that would distract us so that we might focus on the words that, that bring glory to God. And in, in, in these brief moments, I don't know if you've had them, where, where you get a sense of God and his goodness and his glory, and there's, there's almost a palpable sense that he is present with us, and, and you have a sense that this is what I was made for. And I believe that's the sense that Adam and Eve lived with prior to, prior to sin entering the world. A constant awareness of God's presence, his presence to bless, his presence to build relationship. They had perfect relationship with our holy God. They had perfect relationship with one another. That's even harder to imagine, I imagine. God made Adam and, and saw that he needed a companion and I think he wanted Adam to see that he needed a companion. So he creates Adam, and then he's, he sees this, this de- deficiency in Adam. And, and so he begins to bring the animals to Adam, and Adam's naming them and naming them. And, okay, they're the, the cows, I guess, chickens, goats. Uh, that's an armadillo. And at, at the end of the day, he's thinking to himself, everyone's got someone. And I don't, want, I don't want to be a companion to an armadillo. And so God puts him, lets him fall asleep. He takes this nap and creates this woman, and, and he wakes up, and he sees her. And he, uh, some say he sings. I, 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 don't, I can't say that for certain, but he certainly responds poetically. He says, he says, oh, my goodness, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Whoa. He, he was enamored. And so he was in relationship with his wife, Eve. And in verse 25 of chapter 2, it says that the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There was nothing that they had to hide from one another. They, they could be physically exposed because they were willing to be emotionally, spiritually exposed and vulnerable. There was nothing that was coming between them. They had perfect relationship with God. They had perfect relationship with one another. They had provision. They had all the food that they could eat in the form of the vegetation of the earth, it says in, in chapter 129. And then God takes him in, in chapter 2 and puts him in this lush garden. And, and he's to tend it and to care for it, but he has exactly all that he needs to do what God has called him to do. And, and not only does he have provision, but he has purpose. In chapter 1, verse 28, I said, God 
blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living creature that moves on the earth. God had given them marching orders, directives. This is what I want to see you do. I want you to, to make a huge family. I want you to spread across the earth. I want you to, to, to hone the land, to, to have dominion over the land, to use it for your purposes, to bring glory to my name. And, and can you imagine how, how life-giving and exciting and, and promising that was? I don't know if you've ever come into a new job and, and you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change everything. I'm going to fix it all. And then, you know, the realities of the fall set in. But, but this was prior to the fall, and, and, and the earth was in many ways a, a clean slate for them to, to write upon. They had purpose. They were free to worship and enjoy God forever. They had so much, and, and we had so much, because what they had, we had. So much of human history can be framed as our attempts to recapture this perfect relationship, this perfect provision, this perfect purpose in creation rather than in God. And we see that in chapter 3, they go from having so much to very quickly losing so much. It says in chapter 3, verse 1, Now the, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And, and you might be saying to yourself, this is a strange conversation, especially if you've never been in church. Uh, you know, this sounds pretty strange. We see at the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 12 that John's reflecting on a number of things. But, but in the creation narrative, he refers to the, the serpent as Satan. It says in verse 9, and the great dragon thrown down the ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan who is the, the deceiver of the world, he was thrown down to the earth. So there's this time in which this, this heavenly being, this angel, becomes corrupt, Satan, and God sends him to earth, and he is in the form of a serpent. If, that, if you struggle with that, me too. But that's what the Bible says, and we believe it. And they are in a spiritual battle with Satan. And what's interesting is that the, the battle is not one of swords and axes, as cool as that would be, or shovels, because it is a serpent. Um, but it, it happens at the level of thoughts and ideas. Our, our battles are often won or lost at the level of what we know to be true. I'll say that again. Our battles are often won or lost, not, not at, at the level of, of behavior, but by, by the time we get to behavior, it, it's already been won or lost at the level of our ideas. And Satan intends to separate Adam and Eve and separate us from God. Listen to the first tactic he has. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? Satan begins by questioning God's word. Did God, did God really say and it wasn't, this was not informational. It wasn't like he didn't show up to class and he said, what did, the, what did God say? I didn't get the notes, please help me. No, there's, there's some cynicism that's coming in. There's some doubt that he's seeding. He's saying, did God say that? We've all been there because we've all had our parents tell us something and they were like, did, did they tell me to clean my room and go play outside? I can't quite remember. <laughs> did, he, did they say I mean, surely they want me to be happy. 
cleaning my room doesn't make me happy. I think that they said, questioning was this tactic that the enemy used. And it's, it's this subtle technique. He, he comes in, he doesn't just immediately say, God didn't say this, you need to stop believing them. No, he, he invites them to ask the question. And this is why we need to know what God says. This is why I invite you to read the Bible. Don't just take my word for it, go home, read this, read chapter three, tell me what you see out of it. He begins by questioning. And Eve responds by being confused. She says, we may eat of the fruit of the tree, uh, of the trees in the garden, but God said you should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And for whatever reason, she begins to add a little bit. God never said that they couldn't touch the tree. God said don't eat from that tree. But she begins to kind of wrestle with what was said, what was not said. She wasn't even there, so Adam, who is there and who had received the command from God, ought to, at this point, to have corrected her, but he stands silent, abdicating his responsibility. Perhaps he's drawing her away from God's word. He's, He's questioning her in such a way to create confusion. And as I said, this is why we have to know God's word. I wish JC was here because he'd, he'd be able to quote things to me. But uh, Psalm 119, verse 11 says, I, I, I hid my word in your heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 9 says, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to what? According to your word. God's word has been given to us. It's described as a double-edged sword. It's, it's, de- it's described as the sword of the spirit. And it's not just to tell us, okay, this is what I need to do. This is what I can't do. But it's to remind us who God is and what he has said and what reality is. When we begin to cre- uh, question reality, does God really say that I have to be faithful to my spouse? Yes. He says it in his word. It's in Corinthians. Read it. Does God really say that I, I, I shouldn't lie? Yes, he says it in his word. What, is, what does God say about anger? James, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Anger of man does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. God speaks to us in, in his word. We need to know his word. After the serpent begins by questioning God's word, he then goes and gets a little bold. She responds and says, yeah, God said that, and she adds her bit. And in verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Don't believe him. So he moves from questioning God's word to to inviting them to disbelieve God's word, to contradicting God's word. God's word concerning the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was clear. In chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, God did say, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden, and he commanded the man, saying, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. God had given him that command. At this point, Satan is saying, do you want to believe God or do you want to believe yourself? You're, you seem kind of wise, Eve. Adam, you seem silent and wise. You, you look like one of those brooding philosophers, Adam, just standing there listening, taking it all in. Eve, your openness to questions, your willingness to have an open mind shows me that, that I think that you are wise. You know, and, and between the three of us, I think we can figure this thing out. Now, I know God has said some stuff, but I don't know that he's right. You know, let's, let's think about this for a second. That tree, it looks pretty good, right? 
I mean, it looks tasty. I mean, it doesn't, there's no knives hanging from it. I don't see anything really dangerous about it. I don't know how you could die. Just make sure you chew thoroughly. You don't choke on it. I think you'll be fine. And Eve's thinking to herself, maybe I will be fine. And Adam's thinking to himself, I mean, I'm up for whatever. And before they respond, Satan moves to his final tactic in verse, verse 5. I read it before, but I'll read it again. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You know what, guys? I, I've been thinking about this for a while, and I, I, I'm your friend, so I want to be honest with you. I think, I think God is not as good as he claims to be. I think God is not as good as he claims to be. That, that's straight from the pit of hell. And Satan says, I think God might be a little bit jealous. He doesn't, he doesn't want any, anyone to kind of rise to his level. And if you knew anything about Satan, you might, you might hear some anger behind that. Because Satan was proud. And he was kicked out of heaven because he was proud. And he had experienced God saying to him, no. There is no other like me. I'm paraphrasing. But you you can imagine Satan angry, just angry at God, jealous of God, thinking he deserves it, looking at these creations that remind him of God. I'm going to ruin their lives. I'm going to destroy them. And then he's saying to them, you know what? I don't think, I think God is afraid of you guys. I think he's, I think he's, he doesn't want you to know. He doesn't want you to be like, like him. And what, what's the irony is if they, would just, if they would just go to their Bibles and read chapter 1. I know that they can't, but what does it say? Uh, he says, God says, in, ch- in chapter 1, verse 26, let us make man in our own image, what? After our likeness. Adam and Eve were already like God. I'm going to say that again. Adam and Eve were already like God. They, they had everything that they could need or want. This is, this is the, how the enemy works, and I want you to listen because this is so applicable for your life and mine, is, is we have so many things. I mean, and, and we take it for granted. We have heating right now, and there are no fires, right? There, there have been many times in history and, and many places right now where you can't have heat without a fire. You guys are all dressed. You look like you had breakfast. If you didn't have breakfast, you're not dying because you had food last night. You, 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 maybe you went to the 7-Eleven and had hot Cheetos. I don't know if that's your life. It might be mine. But we, we don't lack. We have so many things. Most of you, I don't think anyone biked here. You drove or you got a ride from someone else who owns a car, owns a gigantic device with metal and, and, and rubber and pistons. and I mean, just all this technology. We have so much. But the enemy would love to say, but you don't have that. You don't have that right there. Don't you want that? 
Like, this stuff is, nah, this is useless. This right here that, that you don't have, man, wouldn't it be great to have that? He looks at Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, they had all, like, they could do this, and they had all of those trees. That tree, 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 that tree. The enemy's like, you don't have that tree, though. And they're like, man, you're right, we don't have that tree. He calls into question God's abundance. He, he frames the discussion in what they don't have. You know, I, I grew up and my dad uh, let me whittle. If you don't know what whittling is, you didn't grow up in the country, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Do people whittle in the city? Probably not. It's probably considered dangerous. Um, I remember being a kid, like being five or six True story, and, and my dad had these buck knives, and, it, and if you know, you know, if you don't, it's okay. Um, there were these hunter knives, and there was a small one, it's got brass sides, it's wood in the middle, and it, it's, it's a back lock, so you open it up and you click, and it locks. And, it, and you know, I was a little kid, so maybe my hand was like this big, and it fit perfectly in my head. My dad had one that had a holster, and if it has a holster, that's the one, right? And it was gigantic. I mean, it just was, it was, might, as been, might as well have been a sword, and I remember him, you know, with his big hands pulling it out and him having to use, you know, multiple fingers to open it up and, and letting me hold it. And, uh, and, I, and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And, and I, I don't think my mom was around because I'm pretty sure the knife was bigger than my fingers. So clearly I could have lost several at any moment. But here's the thing is my dad was very, very, uh, he's a good teacher, he, he, he taught me, and so he was, before we touched the knife, we talked about knife safety. You know, the thing's sharp. It's not a toy. It doesn't care. Uh, it will gladly cut you. It will take a finger. It does not care. And then he would show me, okay, you don't cut towards yourself. You cut away from yourself. Keep your fingers out of the way. You don't put your finger in the front. You keep your fingers out of the way. You don't cut towards your sister. You cut in the direction where no one else is. You don't push real hard. You let the knife do the work. He taught me knife safety. Now, the thing is, if I had looked at the knife and said, but, but Dad, I know I can do all those things, but I just want to shove my hand on that blade. He would be like, well, that's dumb, son. Give me the knife and we'll go do something else. His boundaries were not given to me to restrict my freedom, but to enhance my freedom. If he had just given me the knife and given me no boundaries, I would have cut myself very quickly, maybe even hit an artery, and this would be a very different church. The, the boundaries that he gave me were not intended to restrict my freedom, but to enhance them. And the boundaries that God gave Adam and Eve were not intended to restrict their freedom, but in, to enhance it. But we look at God's commands, his rules, you know, husbands love your wives, Wives, love your husbands. One man, one woman. Parents, care for your children. Love them well. Love your neighbors yourself. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Don't envy. And we think, oh, this is so restrictive to who I am supposed to be. When God would say, no, this is intended to help you get into the lane of who you are and be free in that lane. God's boundaries are good boundaries. No one wants to be free missing a finger. When God gives us boundaries, they're good boundaries. He's a good God and he cares about us. 
So when he says that we can't do this or that thing, he isn't trying to restrict our freedom. He's trying to enhance it. But Adam and Eve, they respond to, God, to Satan's tactics by ignoring God's word, by trusting their own wisdom, and by sinning against God. Trusting their own wisdom and sinning against You know, it's interesting that in the Bible, there are many places where it says, trust in the Lord. Don't trust in yourself. Um, there's a book that just came out talking about kind of this, this prevalent idea that we have in the world of just following your own heart. And it says, don't follow your own heart. Because my heart is foolish, right? Five-year-old Eddie's heart would have been like, this is awesome, and I would have run around with a knife and stabbed myself, right? 25-year-old Eddie would have ruined so many things if it were not for the restraining power of God. And he says, trust in the Lord in, in, in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Come under him. Submit yourself to him, and he will make your path straight. It doesn't say, you know what, follow your own heart, follow your own wisdom. And we're like, but God, I'm pretty wise. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. They said, God, I'm pretty wise. I know you said this, but this Satan guy, he's made some excellent points, and he has a PowerPoint presentation, and it's really just top of the line. I mean, he's got moving gifts and everything. And we think we're wise, but we're foolish. They lost their perfect relationship with God. They lost their perfect relationship with one another. Right? If we go, if we go to Genesis and we see the end of the story here, or the end of this part of the story, they eat it. And it says in verse 7, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, this was a husband and a wife. There should not have been a sense of, I need to cover up in front of you. Why, why did it change? Because in, in chapter 2, they were naked and unashamed. But because of sin, they felt exposed. They felt the shame of what they had done. And they realized, I cannot allow this person to see me for who I am. Sin had driven a wedge between the both of us, before the both of them. How, how interesting is it that, that their sin against God affected their own relationship? And how many of us, our sin that we think it's just between me and God, it really affects those around us. But it didn't just affect those Around them, it, it affected their relationship with God. If you go to verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They were now fearful of God, ashamed to be around God. Their sin had broken that perfect relationship with God. They were alienated from one another and from God. They lost not only that perfect relationship, but they lost provision in chapter, chapter 3, verse 23, that God is going to kick them out of the garden. And their provision would now have to come through hard labor. You want to know why work is hard and people are hard to, hard to deal with? Why, why it's really hard to make ends meet? It's because of sin. It's not just because your manager's an idiot. And he's not. I, please don't tell him he is. My pastor said it, so it's okay. Um, it, it's, it's because... Sin, 
And, and not just Adam and Eve's sin, but our sin as well. They lost their provision and, and they lost their purpose. Because of sin, God's commissioning for them to represent the world, to create culture, was going to be tainted by sin, suffering, and strife. And if you keep reading in Genesis, like the next section, someone dies. So it goes from perfect creation, God's awesome, they sin, they cannot create families, and instead their children are killing one another. I mean, that's, that's how bad sin is. They lose their purpose. And although the image of God was not completely lost, it was damaged through their disobedience. And then the rest of human history is this story over and over again of, of trading what God can give for what creation can give. And going to this part of creation and saying, would you please give me purpose? Going to this part of creation and saying, would you please provide for me? Going to this part of creation and saying, please give me perfect relationship. And so we get married and we think this person's gonna complete me, they're gonna make my life perfect, they're gonna, they're gonna just make me feel so good inside and then we get married and a year or two later we're like, who are you? And they're saying, I don't know, but who are you? Because you had gone in that marriage hoping that that person would give you the perfect relationship. You go to work and you, you labor over your job. You get, you get student loans, and, and I'm not trying to put you down for student loans because welcome to America. Um, but you go to you do your job and, and, and you try to go up the ladder. And at every point you're asking yourself, why am I doing this? But there's this hunger for success. There's hunger for purpose. this hunger for meaning. And then some of you, you've had these moments where you're alone in your house by yourself and you don't have those people, you don't have those created things, you don't have that job distracting you from the reality that you are empty, that you don't have the provision that you feel like you that should have. You don't have the purpose that you feel like you should have and the relationships you have can never be confused for perfect we seek in creation what we can only find in God. Have you sought definition outside of what God has said? Have you, I, you know, I'm part of this tribe. I'm part of this group. This is why identity politics is so huge, because people want to know who they are, and they want to be told that they're loved and accepted and, 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 and that they're awesome, and, and there's, there's good in that. There's hunger that we all have in that. but we've sought definition and meaning outside of what God has said. But the good news is that God had a plan. If we go down to verse 21, it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Sounds a little underwhelming, but let's unpack that for a second. Adam and Eve, they've sinned against God. God said, you're going to die if you do that. And instead, he encounters them. He seeks them out. Right? They hide from him. And at that point, he could have said, you know what? I'm just going to pr press the reset button. We're going to start this other thing over. I'm going to blow on the cartridge, put it back in, and we're going to do it, do it better. But he, he, he doesn't. He, he pursues them. And he does pronounce some judgments. But then he, he does this thing. He Gives them clothes. Now, they already had fig leaves, and I know that maybe that wasn't the nicest thing to wear or most comfortable, but, but it, it covered up. So why would he do that? 
Why would he, it says, give them skins? Now, skins don't normally come from plants. They come from animals. You know, if you know of a, a plant with skin, just step away. Burn that thing. I don't know what it is, but it ain't from good places. He, he kills, it seems like he kills an animal or some animals. Something has to die in that moment because of their sin. And what does he do? He covers over their shame. He covers over their shame. Their covering is never enough. Family, your covering is never enough. This is why... This is why doing more, being better, being you 2.0 is never going to be enough because it's all fig leaves. It's all fig leaves. And when we come before God, he sees through that nonsense. He's not like, oh, that's a nice three-piece fig leaf suit. You look sharp. Come on in. Let's be friends. Let's have a relationship. It doesn't work that way. He kills an animal. But, but that, that is a small promise that God has a plan to deal with their problem. I want to encourage you that God has a plan to deal with your problem. And we have the privilege of skipping ahead a few books and a few chapters to see what God's ultimate plan was. God had a plan to restore his relationship with us. God had a plan to restore our relationship with one another. God had a plan to restore the provision that he had given us. God had a plan to restore the purpose that he had for us. It says in, in 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not, not love does not know God, because God is love. Verse 9. And this is the love of God. Oh, sorry, and, and in this, the love of God was made manifest or was shown among us. How? That God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. We broke the relationship, but we can't fix it. But you know what God does? He says, I'm going to fix it. And he doesn't just fix it by saying, you know what? It's cool, guys. No worries. Don't worry about it. It's all right. We're friends. It's okay. Let's, let's, let's uh, sweep it under the rug. Because he's a just God. And, and I've said this before, some of you are new, but God's not, we're cool with God sweeping our junk under the rug, but we're not cool with God sweeping the junk of other people under the rug, right? The, the things that other people do to us, we're like, I would like for you to deal with that God. That person was, uh, I'm not going to say what they were, but could you handle that? And, and sometimes it's that kind of annoyed sort of way, but there are other times where God, people really, really sin against us. And, and you've, you've experienced it because you guys have lived life. And, and, and so the question is, how is God going to deal with that while at the same time giving mercy? Like, please give me mercy. How is he going to be a just God and a merciful God? Well, he sends his son to live a perfect life. And he shows us his love by pouring out his wrath on Jesus. That's how bad my sin is. My sin could not be, you know what, Eddie, um, you, you messed up the carpet here. I'm just going gonna, gonna to take up this square, and we're going to replace it. It's going to be okay. No, I ruined things to the degree that, that God had to say, you know what, 
I've had this plan before you were born. I'm going to send my son, and he's going to be murdered. He's going to be tortured and murdered for you. That, that, that should show us both the severity of our sinfulness and the, the depth of God's love. And I don't want you to miss either one. You can't appreciate the depth of God's love unless you appreciate the, the severity of your own sinfulness. I remember I was walking home from, <laughs> this is dumb, I was walking home from, uh, from school. Actually, I was walking to, doesn't matter, I did martial arts and there was like, you'd, you'd go out after school to the martial arts place and stare at the mats. I didn't do work, I don't know. But I was walking and I was crossing a road I don't know if I was listening to music or just being a dumb teenager, but I was crossing the road, and it was the coolest slow motion, I'm going to die moment I've ever had. Coolest just because everything did slow down. So all the people who tell you, it's weird, it, everything slowed down. It was, tr- it was like everything slowed down. I said, oh, that's a, that's a big truck. And it was coming at me, and I got out of the way, and it stopped. And I don't remember if it stopped where I was or what, but I lived but I almost died enough to just go sit on the curb and think about my life for a little bit. I just sat down and I was like, well, that was horrifying. And it wasn't, all of a sudden, I was really happy to be alive because I understood a little bit more in that moment about the severity of what death might have been like. And, and when we look at Jesus, we see, oh man, God wanted to restore his perfect relationship with me. But I hope we also see that, oh man, sin really messed things up. I really messed things up. He had a plan to restore his relationship with us. He also had a plan to restore our relationship with one another. And we begin to see that as, as Jesus comes, he, he rises from the dead. He, he basically establishes the church. And in chapter 2, of Acts, which is kind of the story of the church unfolding, um, it says in, that the, the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Right, they were they were studying scripture. They were thinking about what the apostles were telling them, and they they were having fellowship. They were breaking bread. They were having meals together and praying. And all who believed were together and had all the things that they had in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This is not. This is not like communal uh, communism that he's trying to endorse. He's saying that they loved each other and they were so connected to, to God and his purposes that they were giving and they were saying, God is so good, let me help you. I see that you're in need. I've got a ton of stuff. I'm gonna sell this farm and I'm gonna give you this, food, this money. And they were caring for one another. God was reestablishing their ability to love one another. And if you read through any of the epistles of, of Paul, you see Paul trying to work out the gospel, this good news about Jesus Christ and how it relates to our relationships with one another. How we can love one another. He restores our provision. It says in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, that, that he gives us all that we need. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours in accordance with his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Right? You, you see how God has, has provided for your spiritual need in Jesus Christ? He's going to provide for all your other needs. If you don't have it, you don't need it, he says. And he restores purpose. In Matthew, before Jesus is ascending, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Right? It, it went from God saying, be fruitful and multiplying, to saying, be fruitful and make disciples. We have purpose. The reality, family, is that because of sin, we, we've lost so much that we can only get back in God. And the question for us today is not whether we will pursue these things, because we will pursue them. Look at your life. You're pursuing perfect relationships. You're pursuing provision. You're pursuing purpose. But the question is, are you going to pursue those things in the things that God has given you, or are you going to pursue it in the created order, like Adam and Eve? He invites us to come to him. He invites us to, to, to receive what he has for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us, that you show your love for us by providing for us despite the fact that we have sinned. God, we've, we've done so poorly. Like our, our father and mother, Adam and Eve. God, I thank you that, Jesus, you died on the cross for our sins in our place. That you defeated Satan and his schemes. And that you offer life, provision, purpose, perfect relationship through your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would help us to pursue those things in you. In Jesus' name. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day. If that's you, you want to you trust God, would you just raise your hand? It's not, there's nothing magical in raising your hand. Once that hand's up, you can put it back down. I saw that hand. Awesome. And I, We're just going to pray responding to God. Heavenly Father, I, I have taken my sin casually. I've not taken it seriously enough. And at the same time, God, I have not appreciated your your salvation in Jesus Christ. And God, I, I want to trust Jesus and receive what only you can give. Renewed relationship with you, renewed relationship with others, provision and purpose. God, I turn away from everything I know to be sin and I trust you. Forgive me for my sin. Cleanse me and help me to walk out this life. In Jesus' name I pray.